you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. Studios. Hola Los Angeles, I'm Brian De Los Santos, and this is How to LA, the show that connects you with what's going on in your community. Today, we're jumping into the history of language in California, and the role a decision made in the 19th century has on state policies in the 21st century. You might remember when Proposition 227 was passed in the 1990s, banning bilingual education in the classroom. Or maybe you were paying attention in 2016 when Proposition 58 repealed it. All this tension over language can be traced back 150 years to a meeting in which, after much debate, it was proposed that Spanish not be used for any official business in the state. That ran contrary to the way things had been done in the state, porque español was definitely a big part of things here. But soon after that gathering in 1878, an English-only rule was adopted. LA's higher education reporter Adolfo Guzman Lopez explored the long-term implications of this and why speaking Spanish in California became so contentious at certain points in our history and how that's changing in LA today. Hey, Adolfo. Hey, what's up, Brian? All right, the first question I'm going to ask you is, do you speak Spanish? Do I speak Spanish? What's the matter with you? <laughs> I was born in Mexico City, grew up in Tijuana, San Diego. So my favorite part of San Diego is Tijuana. Uh-huh. So absolutely, absolutely speak Spanish. ¿Y por qué empezaste a reportar este, esta nota? What led you to start reporting on this topic? Cuando llegué a Los Ángeles hace más o menos 23, 24 años, llegué y vi tantos nombres de lugares como San Gabriel, Santa Mónica. I saw so many place names. Vi tantos lugares como Santa Mónica, Sepúlveda. You know, I saw Spanish present here, but then once I started living here, the reality of how Spanish speakers were treated and how institutions incorporated Spanish was just like total opposite, right? And for me, that seems so different than what I had seen in other parts of the world. No, that's really interesting. And, and I even feel like if we get into more, like more local thinking, the way we say things like La Cienega uh, and what's the other street? Los Feliz. Los Feliz. All those things. It becomes <laughs> San Pedro. Of, yes. San Pedro. <laughs> San Pedro. It becomes like another part of your own culture, right? Whether you're bilingual or not. And some people adapt the Spanish accent in some of these words, right? Even though they're not Latino or Spanish speakers themselves. So I, I love that we, we all have kind of this story of, of being surrounded with uh, Spanish here in, in Southern California. But why don't we start off and take us back to 1878? 
Um, and that's when the California Constitution was being rewritten. Um, what was the setting? And because it has to do with this story of language here. It does. So I think in order to understand the huge transformation in 1878, we have to think of our own present time. So 2023, the last 30 years, the thing that's transformed our lives entirely has been technology and the internet, right? In 1878, what transformed California society 30 years before was gold and the arrival of a lot of people from different parts of the United States and also different parts of the world, right? Totally transformed California. California was part of Mexico. The U.S.-Mexican War happened. There was a treaty for peace and a constitution was created in 1849, that constitution by 1878 was outdated, right? So there was a constitutional convention in Sacramento. Over 100 people went up there and they started rewriting it. And so an amendment comes up by a delegate from Santa Clara in which he wants to only use English for official proceedings and official documents, which would be totally opposite of how things had been done before because laws were printed in both English and Spanish. Official proceedings were held in Spanish in some places. So that's that's the amendment. That's one of the origins of English only. Was this person like a Karen on the present day Karen? <laughs> What's interesting to know about 1878 is that there was a there was a depression, something called the Long Depression, and there was a lot of unemployment and in that economic crisis comes a political movement called the Working Men's Party that blames immigrants for unemployment. And so quite a few of the delegates in Sacramento were either members of the Working Men's Party or believed in the rhetoric of the Working Men's Party. So that's what you're hearing when this delegate from Santa Clara uh, proposes that English only be used in official proceedings. So these delegates to the convention end up winning the day in this amendment, right? But what's interesting, Brian, is that the allies of Spanish speakers and Mexicans speak up. We have a transcript that has survived of the proceedings. And what was interesting for me to read is that delegates from different parts of Southern California stand up for the Spanish speakers. One delegate says, hey, back in San Bernardino, where where I'm coming from, there are justices of the peace who speak Spanish and do their job really well. So this amendment is going to stop them from speaking Spanish? What's up with that? Another delegate stands up for Spanish speakers and Mexicans when one of the xenophobic delegates calls them foreigners and says, they've had 30 years to learn the English language. We need to change things. And this delegate says, foreigners, what are you talking about? This was Mexico, right? right?" A lot of history sounds like it repeats itself sometimes. But um, going... Talking about today, how does that decision in the the 1870s uh, affect us Spanish speakers today? It's not a clear line connecting that 1878-1879 kind of English-only change to now, but but here are the highlights. So so maybe about a couple decades later, there's there are other xenophobic efforts to limit 
foreign languages in schools. By the 1920s in California, there are Mexican schools. So mm. Spanish-speaking kids are sent to these segregated schools, right? In the latter part of the 20th century, there are quite a few victories for what are called language rights, okay? So victories in the realm of voting, so printing materials in Spanish and other languages, non-English languages. And then, you know, all you have to do is look around in Southern California and go to a city council meeting like L.A. or like Southgate, and you will see translators, right? You will mm -hmm. see uh, the official proceedings being translated into Spanish and, and maybe a, co a couple of other languages. But um, this culture change back in the late 19th century kind of stayed with California society and led to the ban on bilingual education in the mid-90s. Let's talk a little bit about that. We'll be back with Adolfo Guzman Lopez and new efforts in bilingual education right after this. Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center presenting American Mariachi by Jose Cruz Gonzalez. It's the 1970s and women can't be mariachis, or can they? American Mariachi is a feel-good comedy about familia, amor, and tradición that will send your heart soaring and put a bounce in your step with a wave of vibrant, infectious live music. On stage through June 9th, tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pandarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish. Rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. So I went to school in 1995, and I think I still had like a Spanish teacher. Um, no, I didn't have a Spanish teacher, right? I Did I in 95? Well, let's see. Uh, bilingual education was banned in 1998 through a ballot proposition called Prop 227. So I did have a, a, a Spanish teacher. And then because I, you know, I was from Mexico and I came here and I didn't know English. So the Spanish, uh, Spanish teacher helped me understand English. And then, you know, at a certain point, they told my mom, hey, there's no more, no more Spanish classes. I'm sorry. So it was this hard transition. I was in ESL. Um, so I have a personal tie to this story of yours because I'm like, oh, it makes sense. And then it doesn't make sense, you know. So can you explain that 1998 moment? Up until 1998, there was bilingual education in California. It was a large program throughout the state. Mostly because in the 1980s, there was a lot of immigration from Spanish-speaking countries. Central America and Mexico. In Mexico, there had been a huge economic crisis. In Central America, there were U.S.-funded civil wars there, which led a lot of people to come up to the United States, right? And, and a lot of people came to Los Angeles. So you had a lot of Spanish-speaking kids in the communities and going to public schools, so they needed to be educated. And scholars have researched that the best way to teach is to trend is to teach the child in the language that they have been taught in. So in this case, it's Spanish. 
and then gradually transitioned them into English, right? So the bilingual ed program in 1998, uh, mostly um, through the efforts of English-only advocates and people who were xenophobic, um, it was eliminated. So what that meant is that Spanish-speaking kids in public schools had 180 days, one year, to transition into English, which a lot of educators and teachers said, that's just not enough time. And so after that, it was sink sink or swim. So essentially what you're saying is that you came to America, you only spoke Spanish, and you went to school after Prop 227. Teachers couldn't speak to you in Spanish, couldn't really, like, mentor you in Spanish. That was, like, out of... Out of they had a limited amount of time to do that for you. Uh, so, but that's changing now. Um, what's happening with the LA Community Colleges now? Yeah, so the LA Community College District has created uh, many more classes that it's calling in-language classes. So these are uh, classes largely in Spanish, but also in other languages, Armenian, Russian, Korean, Mandarin. And the idea behind the classes is that you've got learning on one side, and you've got English on the other side. So to get to the learning, you can do it with many different tools, right? Different languages to get to the learning. These are dozens of classes that are offered now in vocational education, but also in academic subjects. So basic math and also a class that I found interesting um, called non-traditional leadership, another class called democracy in action. One of the things that's different is that previously when a community college student took one of these non-English classes, they also had to take an ESL class. So it's like they had to and a lot it, more. They had to take more. So that was a bit of a gate that they had to go through, right? So now they're free to take these classes and learn in their native languages. Tell us about the Buena family's experience, because you spoke to them for the second part of your story. So the Buena family embodies this hitting of the immigrant ceiling. So um, Gabriel Buena is a member of the L.A. Community College District Board. He's also a college professor and a lawyer. Um, his parents arrived from Mexico in Los Angeles in the 1960s. They were they were living here, um, moved to South L.A. They had a little bit of vocational education in uh Tijuana and Mexicali. So they had um, kind of uh, uh, white collar jobs, both of them. And so they arrive in Los Angeles and they want to continue their education, right? And they can't because the classes that they're finding are super basic ESL classes. As a matter of fact, Enrique Buelna, Gabriel Buelna's father, talks about how the teacher would give an assignment like, Okay, write dog 20 times. That's your English lesson. So they hit that immigrant ceiling regardless of that. They, by many uh, measures, are successful. Um, Enrique Buena helped run a furniture manufacturing business. And, you know, they helped get their family ahead. And so now Gabriel Buena, the son, is is helping create these in-language classes in order to help people like his parents and families like his now in this day and age. That kind of speaks to not just one family's experience or or just immigrants' experiences. It's It speaks about the California culture. 
How do you think the in-language classes is going to impact, you know, Southern California? Well, I think it might be similar to what was happening with bilingual education in the 80s. So during bilingual education in California, there was this culture of Spanish language, of academic Spanish language in California fed by, you know, all the teachers teaching the classes and they needed books and they needed to learn about the pedagogy in Spanish. And that was supported by the schools of education at the universities. So there was a lot of activity going on in Spanish intellectually in California. Now, these in-language classes are smaller scale. The LA Community College District is, is, is really one of the only ones right now that have made this change. But it has that potential to foster this Spanish language academic culture. And that's good for the Spanish speakers. That's good for a multilingual society and young people coming up in Southern California, many of whom will end up going to different parts of the world and have to navigate multilingual situations and multicultural situations. And that's a good thing for our public schools and higher education institutions to do. I want you to give me your hot take on this question. Do you think we're ever going to reach a point where Spanish or another non-English language will also become part of the official language of California? (laughs) Oh, man, that's so hard to predict, Brian. Because as a kid growing up in San Diego... I didn't see my language and my culture respected. I was fortunate enough to be able to cross into Tijuana and see my language and my culture respected, hang out with my aunts and uncles who were school teachers, relatives who were professionals, see middle school and high school kids that look like me with their libretas and their backpacks and that sort of thing. I I loved seeing that. And so um, hopefully we will live in a future where, you know, Spanish is respected here and given a place in institutions as much as English is. Adolfo, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your knowledge on knowledge today. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate the invite. That was LA's reporter Adolfo Guzman Lopez. You can find his two-part story about the English-only movement and in-language classes on LAist.com. That story also has a full audio translation into Spanish on our site. We'll link that for you in the show notes. That's it for us today, folks. Nos vemos mañana. This episode is produced by Victoria Alejandro. Our other team members are Monica Bushman, Evan Jacoby, Megan Botel, and Erica Washington. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes L.A. a better place to live. The LAist Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAist.com sweeps.